Welcome to the Datadog First Quarter 2022 Financial Results Conference Call. All participants will be in a listen-only mode. Should you need assistance, please signal a conference specialist by pressing the star key followed by zero. After today's presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To ask a question, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. Please also note this event is being recorded. And I would now like to turn the conference over to Yuka Broderick, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Tom. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us to review Datadog's first quarter 2022 financial results, which we announced in our press release issued this morning. Joining me on the call today are Olivier Pomel, Datadog's co-founder and CEO, and David Obstler, Datadog's CFO. During this call, we will make forward-looking statements, including statements related to our future financial performance, our outlook for the second quarter in the fiscal year 2022, our gross margins and operating margins, including from the impact of R&D, go-to-market, CapEx, and increased office activity and marketing, our strategy, our product capabilities, our ability to capitalize on market opportunities, and the closing of acquisitions. The words anticipate, believe, continue, estimate, expect, intend, will, and similar expressions are intended to identify forward-looking statements or similar indications of future expectations. These statements reflect our views only as of today and are subject to a variety of risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially. For a discussion of the material risks and other important factors that could affect our actual results, please refer to our Form 10-K for the year ended December 31, 2021. Additional information will be made available in our upcoming Form 10-Q for the quarter ended March 31, 2022, and other filings and reports that we may file with the SEC. These filings are available on the Investor Relations section of our website along with a replay of this call. We will also discuss non-GAAP financial measures, which are reconciled to their most directly comparable GAAP financial measures in the tables in our earnings release, which is available at investors.datadoghq.com. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Olivier. Thanks, Yuka, and thank you all for joining us this morning. I'll start by saying that we are pleased with our execution in Q1, as we continue to drive high revenue growth along with strong profitability and strong cash generation. To quickly summarize our Q1 financial performance, revenue was $363 million, an increase of 83% year-over-year and above the high end of our guidance range. We had about 19,800 customers, up from about 15,200 in the year-over quarter. We ended the quarter with about 2,250 customers with ARR of $100,000 or more, up from 1,406 in the year-over quarter. These customers generated about 85% of our ARR. We are seeing strong efficiencies in our business model with free cash flow of $130 million and free cash flow margin of 36%. And our dollar-based net retention rate continued to be over 130% as customers increased their usage and adopted our newer product. At a high level, we saw positive business trends in Q1. Usage growth from existing customers was strong and consistent with historical trends as customers continued on their cloud migration and digital transformation journeys and the Datadog platform continued to expand and deliver more value. Neurogo ARR was very robust and churn remained low and in line with historical rates. All these factors together led to another strong quarter of AR added. It was in fact our second best quarter of AR added aside from Q4 2021. Next, our platform strategy continues to resonate in the market. 
as of the end of Q1, 81% of customers were using two or more products, up from 75% a year ago. 35% of customers were using four or more products, up from 25% a year ago. And 12% of our customers were using six or more products, up from 4% last year. We saw strong growth across the products in our platform in Q1. For example, infrastructure monitoring continues to grow at a rapid clip and exceeded three quarters of a billion dollars in ARR in Q1. Our APM suite and log management product had a strong quarter and are in hypergrowth mode. As a reminder, our APM suite includes core APM, synthetics, realism monitoring, and continuous profiler. We're also very pleased with the growth of our user experience products, which are synthetics and realism monitoring more specifically. These products together exceeded $100 million in ARR in Q1. And in security, we are seeing very rapid growth. It's still early days, and we're growing off a smaller base, but we continue to see strong adoption with thousands of customers getting security coverage through the Datadog platform. Now let's move on to product and R&D, where our teams deliver another strong quarter of innovation. Just 12 months after we acquired Screen, we were pleased to announce the general availability of application security monitoring last week. Web applications and APIs are some of the most common sources of data breaches, yet companies typically have no ways to effectively detect attacks so they could be left uncoded for days or weeks. Some other approaches to application security aim to find vulnerabilities before code reaches production, but these solutions often slow down development cycles and overwhelm teams with false positives, with no easy way to prioritize the issue. The Datadog application security monitoring product leverages the full execution context of applications running in production. This allows teams to focus on attacks that actually matter and provides an immediately actionable remediation path. Application security monitoring is the 14th product in the Datadog platform. And this is the fourth product within our cloud security platform, alongside cloud team, cloud workload security, and cloud security posture management. With this, Datadog now provides security insights across metrics, traces, and logs, and we consider these all together as version one of our cloud security platform. Remember that we are still in early stages of security effort and have much to do to further build out this product. But we are pleased with our progress so far and the usage we're getting from our customers. Last month, we also announced that we expanded our watchdog AI capabilities to include root cause analysis and log anomaly detection. Root cause analysis automatically identifies causal relationships between different systems across infrastructure and services, and, sorry, <clears throat> across infrastructure and services and pinpoints their root causes. Watchdog also automatically identifies the business impact of any given issue using data from a release or monitoring product. This means not only identifying which web mobile applications are impacted, but also the exact users that are affected. This new capability often solves in minutes the problem that would otherwise take hours for a very specialist in customers' organizations. Log anomaly detection, on the other hand, automatically understands and baselines normal patterns in logs and proactively discovers anomalies such as new patterns, meaningful changes in existing patterns, and other error outliers. By surfacing these unusual log patterns, log anomaly detection helps teams find and fix issues faster. In addition to this watchdog announcement, our engineers released dozens of features and expanded product capabilities in Q1. To give a couple examples, in release on monitoring, we announced the general availability of iOS crash reports and error tracking, as well as a number of improvements to help customers analyze and understand their users' performance. 
In Cloud Security Posture Management, we added support for the Azure platform, enabling customers to understand their compliance posture across AWS and Azure in one place. In Continuous Profiler, we now support all commonly used languages, including C, C++, Rust, PHP, and .NET. And across Datadog, numerous additional rules, data sources, and integrations are enabling our customers to solve their problem from end-to-end -end without leaving the Datadog platform. Finally, this morning, we announced that we signed an agreement to acquire HDEVs. HDEVs is an application security product which provides a highly accurate vulnerability detection at runtime. It offers interactive application security testing capabilities, which tie vulnerabilities to exact file and line numbers in the code. And unlike other solutions in this area, HDEVs' rate of false positive is very low, enabling customers to focus on vulnerabilities that actually matter. We believe HDEVs' capabilities and strong team will be an excellent part of our cloud security platform. And we're looking forward to integrating the capabilities into Datadog as soon as its acquisition closes when regulatory requirements are met. That's it for our product update this quarter. I want to thank our engineering and product teams for their continued hard work. There are so many new features coming out, and I can only highlight a few of them in this call. Now, moving on to sales and marketing. Our sales team continue to execute and have delivered a strong quarter. Let's discuss some of our wins in Q1. First, we signed an eight-figure upsell with a next-gen fintech company, which was our largest ever deal on an ARR basis. This customer is experiencing explosive growth in demand for its products, and availability and performance of their system is critical to avoid loss of revenue. This customer started with us three years ago with just infrastructure monitoring, and its expansion now includes six of our products. Next, we had a high six-figure upsell with a global shipping company. This customer is expanding with Datadog to help them move forward with their Azure migration. In addition to using five Datadog products, they are now working with our new services team to help implement best practices on a number of business initiatives that involve increased data of adoption. This customer expects to consolidate 10 disparate monitoring tools as they expand their use of Datadog. Next, we had a seven-figure upsell with a U.S. federal entity. We were able to deepen our relationship with this customer after we achieved federal moderate status. Before Datadog, this customer had siloed infrastructures, applications, networks, database, and customer experience monitoring. This caused blind spots and long times to resolution. With this expansion, they are replacing both homegrown and commercial observability tools and are enabling DevSecOps cultures with a, with a visibility across the full stack and a single source of truth. Next, we signed a seven-figure upsell with a leading payment company. Earlier this year, this customer's open source logging tool went down, leaving them blind. But they were able to regain visibility by getting data of log management up and running within a few hours of that crash. Not only did this customer regain log visibility very quickly, they were also able to use the Datadog platform to scrub personally identifiable information to meet security and compliance requirements. And as they have explained it with Datadog, they have been able to cut the number of engineers who maintain homegrown and open source solutions in half and reassign engineers to other productive work in the organization. With this renewal, this customer now uses 13 products from Datadog. Next, we had a six-figure land with a major U.S. hotel company. This company lost half of its engineering team during COVID and needed to use its staff more efficiently. At the same time, it was embarking on an AWS migration, and its existing tools were not providing the visibility it needed. By consolidating Datadog, 
His customer expects to future-proof his cloud strategy and move towards unified end-to-end management across their on-prem and AWS environment. And finally, we had a seven-figure land with a major European car manufacturer. This customer was frustrated with its existing monitoring tools, which left them with limited visibility into incidents, sometimes impacting millions of users globally. As they were trialing Datadog, they were able to solve within minutes issues that used to take them days. With Datadog, this customer expects to consolidate multiple commercial and open source tools across AWS and on-prem stacks. That's it for this quarter's highlights. I want to thank our go-to-market teams for their hard work in delivering a strong start to 2022 after a very busy end of year. <clears throat> I also want to give a special shout out to our tech solutions and support team for making your customers successful and enabling them to expand within the platform. Moving on, we feel very good about the demand environment. And as we look over the medium and long term, our outlook hasn't changed. We remain confident that cloud migration and digital transformation are drivers of our long-term opportunities and are multi-year trends that are still early in their life cycles. We believe it is increasingly critical for companies to embark on these journeys in order to move faster, create competitive differentiation, enable strategic change, and serve their customers. And we believe we can help customers manage the complexity that comes with this transformation, and that the Datadog Unified Platform is more than ever critical to understand improve and secure their modern stacks and businesses. With that, I will turn the call over to our CFO for a review of our financial performance and guidance. David? Thanks, Olivier, and good morning to everyone. To summarize, we delivered strong financial performance in Q1. Revenue was $363 million, up 83% year-over-year, and up 11% quarter-over-quarter. Usage growth with our existing customers was strong once again in this quarter. And new logo ARR growth was healthy, particularly given the typical slowness that we see in Q1. Let's go into some more detail. First, growth of existing customers was strong in Q1, and our dollar-based net retention remained above 130% for the 19th consecutive quarter. Usage growth was strong across the Datadog platform and in line with historical trends. We also saw, saw strong ARR growth in each geographical region, and growth was similar across geographies, including EMEA. In Q, early Q2, we began shutting off service to customers in Russia and Belarus. We have about 200 customers in these two countries, and their contributions to revenue is immaterial. Our go-to-market teams delivered another strong quarter. Total customers grew 30% year-over-year, and customers with $100,000 or more of ARR grew 60% year-over-year. In addition, we saw strong growth in million-dollar customers. We are pleased to be serving more customers and believe we are still early in the early stages of our opportunity in worldwide customer acquisition. New logo ARR was very robust, particularly given our, that our sales teams participate in sales kickoff and other planning processes at the beginning of Q1. Remember that given our usage-based revenue model, new logo wins generally do not immediately transfer, transfer into meaningful revenue. 
Our platform strategy continues to resonate with customers, with 81% of our customers now using two or more products, 35% using four or more products, and 12% using six or more products as at the end of Q1. Finally, churn has remained low. Our dollar-based gross retention rate continues to be in the mid to high 90s and was stable quarter to quarter. And it's similar across our customer segments and major products. Billings were $444 million, $445 million, up 103% year over year. Billings duration in Q1 was similar to the year ago quarter and within the range we've seen historically. We closed several large deals in Q1, including the largest deal by ARR that Olivia, Olivier discussed earlier, which led to billings growth being higher than revenue growth in Q1. Remaining performance obligations, or RPO, was $858 million, up 85% year over year, and contract duration was similar to the year-ago quarter. Current RPI, RPO growth was in the mid-80s year-over-year. We continue to believe revenue is a better indicator of our business trends than billings or RPO, as those can fluctuate relative to revenue based on the timing of invoicing and the duration of customer contracts. Now let's review some key income statement results. Unless otherwise noted, all metrics are non-GAAP. We have provided a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financials in our earnings release. Gross profit in the quarter was $292 million, representing a gross margin of 80%. This compares to a gross margin of 80% in the last quarter and 77% in the year-ago quarter. We continue to experience efficiencies in cloud costs reflected in our cost of goods sold this quarter. In the mid to long term, we continue to expect gross margin to be in the high 70s range. Operating income was $84 million, or a 23% operating margin, compared to operating income of $20 million, or a 10% margin, in the year-ago quarter. We are experiencing significant business efficiencies on strong revenue growth, and in Q1, we had not yet returned fully to in-person meetings, events, uh, or uh, fully back in the office. Turning to the balance sheet and cash flow statements, we ended the quarter with $1.7 billion in cash, cash equivalents, restricted cash, and marketable securities. Cash flow from operations was $147 million in the quarter. After taking into consideration capital expenditures and capitalized software, free cash flow was $130 million, with a free cash flow margin of 36%. Now for our outlook for the second quarter and the fiscal year 2022. We remain optimistic about our long-term growth opportunities. We continue to see cloud migration and digital transformation at tr at, as trends that are still in relatively early stages. And we are investing aggressively and are successfully executing against these long-term opportunities. 
with the usual conservatism applied, our outlook is as follows. For the second quarter, we expect revenue to be in the range of 376 to $380 million, which represents 62% growth year over year at the midpoint. Non-GAAP operating income is expected to be in the range of 49 to $53 million, and non-GAAP net income per share <clears throat> is expected to be in the range of 13 to 15 cents per share on an approximately 347 million weighted average diluted shares outstanding. For the full fiscal year 2022, we expect revenue in the, to be in the range of 1.6 to $1.62 billion, which represents 56% year-over-year growth at the midpoint. Non-GAAP operating income is expected to be in the range of $240 to $260 million, and non-GAAP net income per share is expected to be in the range of $0.70 cents to $0.77 cents per share on an approximate $349 million weighted average diluted shares. Now some notes on our guidance. First, when providing guidance, as usual, we use more conservative assumptions than historical performance. Second, our strategic focus remains to invest aggressively <clears throat> in R&D and go-to-market to optimize for long-term growth. In Q1, we are pleased to have had our best ever quarter of hiring, and we plan to continue hiring aggressively throughout 2022. Our North America and EMEA employees returned to the office at the end of Q1, and our APAC employees are returning to office during Q2. In addition, trade shows and other events are picking up in Q2, as an, as, an, as an employee travel, as is employee travel. In the past, we have framed the benefit of stopping in-person T&E and marketing events during COVID as three to 400 basis points of margin impact. We expect our return to office and increased in-person marketing events as well as our headcount growth to more fully impact margins in Q2 relative to Q1. And even as we embark on these investments and our return from COVID, we remain solidly profitable as indicated by our guidance. Next, regarding income tax expenses in Q2, we will have a provision of about $3 million related to the screen acquisition as well as our typical provision, mainly related to our international entities. Finally, as we discussed last quarter, we are catching up on office build-outs in 2022 and expect CapEx as a percent of sales to roughly double compared to 2021. In conclusion, we are very pleased with our results in Q1. We continue to attract more customers to the Datadog platform we are broadening our platform's capabilities and observability, and we launched application security monitoring in Q1. We are working very hard to execute against our opportunities. And I want to conclude by thanking Datadogs worldwide for their efforts. With that, we'll open the call for questions. Operator, let's begin the Q&A. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star than one on a touchstone phone. 
If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. We will pause momentarily to assemble the roster. And the first question comes from Raymo Lentschow with Barclays. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you, and, and congrats for me as well, an amazing first quarter. Um, uh, I, I wanted to ask a question that I get a lot from investors, Olivier, and that's uh, if you think about your, uh, your efforts around security, uh, how do you see that playing out in the long run against like the pure play security players? Is that complementary? Are you kind of moving the same turf? Is it it's like co-opetition? How do how should we think about that? Um, and then second thing is on the uh, ongoing investment into R&D, et cetera, can you talk a little bit about the benefit you're getting from being just a pure cloud provider and hence your speed of innovation potentially could just uh, move quicker than other players that have to uh, work in on-premise and on a cloud environment? Thank you very much. Congrats. So um, on, on security, so, the, um, so so first of all, the, the way we see ourselves in the ecosystem is we, we don't compete with everyone in the field there. Like the security is very wide. There's many different categories and subcategories in there. Uh, where we want to play a major role is uh, in securing the production, uh, so the applications and production environments uh, and all of the life cycles that relate to that in terms of, you know, development, operations, um, and uh, iterative changes to these environments. So that's where we, we're starting. Uh, we expect to compete with others there. Uh, we come from a different place you know, in that we come from having all of the observability data already being deployed end-to-end -end on those systems and having, um, as active users, uh, the integrity of the development and operations teams in these companies, and, and we think that uh, that's what you know, gives us strength there. To the other point uh, you brought up around the, the speed of iteration, we definitely benefit a lot from being cloud-native uh, and from being um, uh, SaaS-only. Uh, we actually get a lot of information about what our customers do with our product and uh, who they use it, and we see immediately what's being used or not and what's working or not, uh, so that helps us iterate very fast. We also benefit from having a lot of users, and I mentioned that in the first part of my uh, answer, but we're being used every single day by every single developer and house person. Uh, that's a lot more than what you see on a typical security product. Um, and so that gives you a lot more information about what you can do and what you can do better. It also gives you a lot more leverage when it comes to actually solving issues at the security level. And that's part of the value prop we, uh, we give to our customers. Perfect. Thank you. Congrats. Thank you. The next question comes from Kosh Rangan with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, and congratulations on a phenomenal quarter. Olivia, I'm curious to get your take on the hyperscalers, and given the broadening product suite that Datadog uh, is undertaking, how are these conversations changing with the hyperscalers? And one for you, uh, David, as the economic environment and the outlook for GDP growth continues to be a little bit wobbly with higher rates, how should we think about the defensibility of the data about consumption business? Thank you so much. Congrats, Ken. Thanks. So on the on the question about hyperscalers, um, so you know, we work hand in hand with hyperscalers more and more. You know, so we we cover a lot more of the I would say the, the management surface uh, for for our customers uh, who are also their customers. 
we helped their customers be more successful and move to the cloud faster. Um, and so as such, you know, we, we help generate revenue for the hyperscalers, and that's why this partnership you know, works so well with them. Uh, we, we keep improving on those partnerships and developing them. I think we've announced this quarter some improvements to our Azure partnership, for example, uh, where we know part, part of the, I would say, the golden path presented by, by Azure for migrating to, uh, to the cloud. And we're seeing some some great customers onboarding thanks to that. David, you want to take the other question? Sure. Um, thanks, Josh. Hello. Um, we we believe that digital uh, and cloud projects um, are still very high priority and um, and are not uh, being deprioritized. We haven't seen that. We think we're still early on. Um, so with the data we have so far, uh, we think uh, there will be continued strong investment. Um, there is always some volatility across our customer base. Our customer base is very well diversified across industries, and uh, we benefited from that over time. So whereas we're not macro forecasters and there may well be some sensitivity, we believe the long-term trends in, the, in digital migration and cloud um, will still be very strong throughout that cycle. Super. Thank you so much. The next question comes from Fatima Bulani with City. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you for taking my question. Uh, Ali, uh, one quick one for you, just as it relates to the uh, deeper uh, strategic and technical penetration within the DevSec ops arena. I mean, it, it sounds like your thesis is very much because you have the critical uh, mass of data and the data gravity as it relates to your observability use cases, you're able to parlay that in a more meaningful way for security. And I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, uh, why not uh, partner with some of your peers in that space uh, versus kind of go at it alone? And then a quick follow-up for David, please. Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. Uh, so there's, there's two things we bring to the table in security. Um, one is we have, the, as you mentioned, the bad gravity, and we're in the path of data for pretty much everything that relates to our customers' infrastructure, applications, and their own users, you know, which is obviously fantastic. Uh, the other thing we bring is we have, um, we're being used all day by everyone in, in development and uh, in operations, and that's not typically something that the other uh, security products or the typical security products are built for. You know, so it's actually hard. If you wanted to partner, it's hard to find a product that's built for those people. Most security products are purely built for security teams. Um, so that's why you know we we've been building a lot of that on our own. Of course, we still partner with a lot of the other players in the industry. But we we embarked on this journey because we think we have a we come from a different spot. We think we have a different take on the problem uh, that in the end uh, is um, uh, offers us and our customers a lot more leverage and an actual chance at solving the. Uh, the security issues, not just uh, throwing software and resources at it. Um, so this, this is where we come from. I appreciate that. And David, just with respect to that delta between your uh, reported revenue growth and billings, it's uh, probably one of the bigger deltas we've seen in uh, in, in relation to recent quarters. Uh, and given your commentary around uh, invoicing duration having stayed pretty stable, I believe that would be that would imply seven to eight months. I'm still curious as to why you'd see such a meaningful acceleration in billings, you know, head and shoulders above revenue growth. If you could just unpack that uh, for us a little bit and, and when you expect that um, 
divergence to, to narrow. And that's it for me. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And I have to, um, as I mentioned, there, as there, are, there is variability in billing and RPO um, versus revenue based on when uh, bills go out. Um, the, uh, we still have, for the most part, in our larger contracts, uh, pretty much annual billing. So um, the sending out of a large um, annual bill might move the duration a little bit but not a lot. And the strong performance, the billing was very strong and indicative of the business. It was complemented by the fact that in this quarter, we sent out the bill for some large contracts, um, you know, upfront annual billing, and the timing of that causes the variability. Over the average and over the course of the year, that balances out with the timing of the billing and we believe that uh, billing converges with revenue growth. We remind everybody that revenue growth and implied ARR growth is a better metric of the progress of the business. Thanks. The next question comes from Sanjit Singh with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Yeah, thank you for taking the question. Olivia, in your script, you mentioned um, Fed ramp. I should have brought on um, kind of another topic that we were sort of hearing about from your partners, which is penetration observability in some of the underpenetrated industries. And from your perspective, if you look at the different um, industries that Datadog participates in, which of the industries do you see can um, become um, greater adopters of, of, of observability versus some of the kind of traditional technology e-commerce verticals? Uh, well, look, we've seen pretty much every single industry show show some signs of moving to the cloud already. I think, you know, the the order in which these industries move uh, really depends on their um, their appetite for being at the leading edge of technology changes and their exposure to uh, um, interacting with their users online. You know, so what we see what we saw first, obviously, was the uh, uh, so finance, for example, which is you know uh, ahead in technology in general, uh, or you know things like e-commerce, online media, that sort of thing. But today, we actually see uh, the full range of categories and industries coming to the cloud. Um, for example, you know, we mentioned an auto manufacturer in Orco, we mentioned a hotel chain, we mentioned uh, in the previous calls, we mentioned you know, plumbing supplies companies. Um, pretty much every single part of the, of the economy is coming there. Uh, you're right, though, in your comment that some of those are later to the game than others. Uh, and so there's, there's, there's less penetration, I would say, in the more traditional, less tech focused, less tech focused parts of the, of the industry, but we're confident that everybody's coming to that party. It's also the case in regulated industries, uh, government in particular, um, where, um, not only the, the moves are a little bit more conservative in terms of, uh, technology transitions, uh, but also these, uh, part of the, of the, of the industry are also more limited in what they can purchase, you know, which is why it was very important for us um, to get uh, FedRAMP certified, which is also why we keep investing um, in, in more FedRAMP and more uh, similar certifications so we can, we can go into more of these categories and more geographies. Makes total sense. And then just one follow-up on one of the wins that you guys called out. I think it was the European manufacturer. Um, who um, uh, I think was sort of uh, engineering talent sort of constrained and they moved off of their 
um, DIY um, solution. And so if we take that as a topic more broadly, because um, you would think that, you know, the demand for talent, demand for engineering talent is, is probably only going to get worse. And so in terms of the DIY, DIY observability market converting more to more commercial out-of-the-box value like, like a Datadog provides, how much of an opportunity do you think that could be uh, for the business? Well, I think that's, that's part of our it's always been part of opportunity, and that's really what makes the uh, the value prop even more attractive in the future. As you correctly pointed out, um, there's not going to be uh, as many software engineers in general as the market will need. Uh, you know, there's not this year. There's not going to be. It's, I think it's going to be even less the case. You know, two years, three years, five years, ten years from now. Um, so, what our customers will need is a way for their existing staff to be more productive and a way to direct them to what is actually going to be differentiating for them as opposed to the building and differentiating infrastructure. Um, so, we, we clearly play it. Um, and this is a trend that, that benefits us in the end. The other thing to bring up is that software in, in, in general uh, is deflationary in nature. And, and that's also the case for us. We help our customers make more with what they have. Um, we help them automate. Uh, we help them make people more productive. We help them use their infrastructure better. Uh, we help them um, ship projects that uh, help them interact with their own customers better. Um, so that's a, uh, that's where we play. I appreciate the Thank you very much. The next question comes from Brent Phil with Jeffries. Please go ahead. David, uh, in, in your guidance, um, I, I know you mentioned you're, you're not really seeing the macro uh, issues, mm -hmm. but are, are you assuming a, a similar close rate on your pipeline? Are you taking a, a more conservative close as it relates to the, the back half of, of what you're guiding to for the year? Um, like all, as we've talked about, and like all of our guidance, we tend to take more conservative close rates, i.e., new logos, and more conservative usage than we've experienced historically. So that principle continues with our with our guidance, um, and uh, is consistent with what we've done uh, in the past. Okay, great. And Olivia, that, that 10 million upsell, um, can, can you just speak to the pipeline of these larger transactions and what you're seeing uh, as your as your customers expand? Well, we see many more customers in that in that range, right? So uh, uh, customers are riding this adoption curve with us uh, where we solve a bigger and bigger problem for them. They use more and more of our products. Um, they move more and more of their infrastructure in the cloud to start with, uh, and they themselves are scaling. Um, so these are all multipliers uh, that end up, you know, increasing um, our footprint with them. So we we have a healthy pipeline of those. We you know we mentioned we we handpick a few you know in every one of those calls, um, but that's definitely not an isolated case. And uh, and that customer you know is actually in the tens of millions, um, and it's a, a, a I think a, a again we don't expect that to be an isolated case. And I think we mentioned, you know, the strong continued growth of 100,000 plus and mentioned, even though we don't give out the million dollar customers every quarter, mentioned continued strong growth in millions. And that's indicative that we have many customers who are graduating from smaller lands to the 100,000, the 500,000 class and the million class and above as, as our model has been all along. Thank you. 
the the next question comes from comes from uh Camille Mielskarsik with uh William Blair. Please go ahead. Thank you. Uh good morning everyone and uh congrats on a great quarter. Uh the question on pricing. As your largest customers scale and, and standardize on data dogs, can you talk about how conversations have changed uh, around pricing and are there any particular modules where you're see, seeing relatively higher levels of pushback on costs uh given the rapid growth in data recently and the pricing changes uh made by some of your competitors in, in the last two years? Yes, so the look any anytime you somebody's paying you tens of millions of dollars a year, um there's going to be a conversation about price. Um because this is a line item that that shows up, you know. Um typically the what's uh, what's going to be the, the most negotiated as part of that is the biggest part of the of the deal, you know, which for some customers um is infrastructure, for some others is APM. For many customers it's logs because that's the one where data can grow, you know in a way that's somewhat decorrelated from the, the size of the accompanying infrastructure or the value of the accompanying applications. Um, and our approach there really is to, uh, to give as much flexibility as possible to customers so they can align what they pay with the value they get. You know, and we, we've shipped in the past many, many new features around that you know, to give them more tiers for storing data, uh, more ways of doing just-in-time um, sampling, archiving, bringing back data from, archive, uh, from archives, um, give them more controls, more levers, and we expect to do more of that in the future. But you know, it's a it's a very healthy conversation. You know, we do expect that you know when customers are fully at scale with us, um, the uh, we we get more and more of a wallet share from them. But at the same time, the uh, the uh, the revenue we get won't go won't grow linearly with the data volumes they send us. You know, that's natural. That's that's healthy. That is helpful. And if I could just follow up on, on free cash flow, generation has been very strong, 36% margin in the quarter, and I think 28% for the last year. How are you thinking about managing free cash flow margin going forward? Is the strength just a function of better than expected growth and maybe a tight labor market, or do you see high 20s, 30% as a sustainable level? Well, I think we've experienced long-term free cash flow to be um, slightly higher than EBIT. So, um, correlated with our with our EBIT, we have um, it is indicative of the growth of the business and the efficiency of the business. As we mentioned, uh, we will be returning, we believe, in Q2 to more investments, um, whether it be marketing events in the office, et cetera. So um, while where we expect it to uh, continue to evidence the efficiency in the business, it would be as it has been correlated to be slightly higher than the EBIT performance. That's helpful. Thanks again. Welcome. The next question comes from Matt Hedberg with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks, guys, for the questions. Ali, I wanted to go back to security. Uh, you've obviously had a lot of success there, and you're adding HDF this quarter. How do you see your sales force evolving over time? And, and you, know, you know, maybe even the, the thought of a, a security overlay team at some point. Yeah, so you know, we're open to anything there. Uh, we haven't made any drastic changes to that. We're still focused right now on, on getting in front of our existing customers with these products and getting them to adopt the products and writing the maturity curve of those products with us to make, to make sure they are as broadly as applicable as possible before we accelerate on the go-to market for them. 
Uh, and we're very happy with where we are there. We're exactly where we want it to be, actually. We we get um, uh, a lot of paying customers with, uh, with skin in the game and a lot of eyes on the product and a great amount of, of velocity in terms of development. Um, we we are expecting to test a few things on the go-to-market side, you know, in the we'd say in the coming few quarters, and and then we'll see where this leads us. Where um, uh, we see some successes today already without an overlay team, we think it might actually uh, trying a few different things might accelerate things a little bit, but you know it's still early to tell. Got it. That's super helpful. And then you guys have always had a very services light model, so so easy to use. Um, as you continue to scale up in the G2K, are there additional steps you can do to maybe even enable more synergies within uh, a GSI community? Yeah, so we, there's two things we're doing. So one is we're investing in our partnerships with uh, with SI and, and with the channels in general. Um, so we're doing more there. And we also started productizing some uh, service offerings. You know, we actually called one out in the, in one of the uh, the, the customers uh, we, we listed in the in the call. Um, we have a small service system today that, that has a few package offerings that mostly revolve around um, accelerating adoption of Datadog and making sure we, uh, we help customers uh, that need that help uh, transform their businesses around uh, the way things are running with Datadog. So we're investing on both sides. I mean, obviously, uh, whatever we package ourselves with our own team uh, will then be scaled uh, through uh, um, third-party partners, GSIs, and others. Got it. Congrats on the uh, strong Q1. Thank you. Thanks. The next question comes from Michael Turrets with KeyVic. Please go ahead. Hey guys, uh, great Carter. Um, the um, I want for for Ollie first. You do more application security, and you've announced some things um, for observability in um, in developer pipeline. Can you talk about how far you will be going in terms of a shift left towards more of the development side of things, including possibly around a static code or source code, and as I said, does that shift left towards developers? So that's a great question. We, we definitely are doing more and more uh, on the shift left and, and developer side. Uh, obviously, we've talked about security quite a bit, and a big part of that is application security, which is a bit of a known category. Uh, so it's, it's there. I think it's a little bit different in how we approach it, a little bit different in the cloud, uh, but the, the category has been there before. We're also investing in new categories, and you mentioned the CICD observability. Uh, that's a brand new category. Um, I wasn't there before. Um, and we actually have a product in the market today that we started charging for, and you know we, we don't have any numbers to share today, but... We are actually very, very pleased uh, with the way this product is being received by customers. Um, so overall, we we think we're going in the right direction there. You know, there's obviously more we'll want to do. I mean, you brought up you know HD, uh, which also brings a, a bit more around uh, closer to the source code and the and vulnerability management things like that. Uh, there's more we'll want to do there, but we don't have anything to announce there. And, and can I just ask? I, I think an expansion or uh, take to. Um, to Matt's question um, in terms of facilitating your broader product line. Anything in the customer success area that has to be changed or uh, post-production engineering uh, or professional services as you have a more broader and more complex offering? Yes, so we're scaling those teams quite a bit, um, and we're constantly also refining the uh, uh, 
the way those teams are segmented so they can they can target specific types of customers. And in some case, in some situations, not not many situations, also certain types of products. Um, so we uh, that's part of scaling the teams on the customer success, on the tech solutions, on the support side. Um, so we're investing quite heavily there. I, I gave those teams a shout out because really uh, they've been doing a fantastic job at helping our customers scale and adopt a, a very broad uh, product portfolio today. Um, and I think there, there's going to be more successes to come there. Thanks, Ali. Thanks, David. The next question comes from Brad Reback with Stiefel. Please go ahead. Uh, great. Thanks very much. Ali, as the Salesforce and, and the marketing team re return to face-to-face -face events, any reason to think that we shouldn't see some level of acceleration in uh, – you know, upsells to the uh, to the larger part of the install base, as well as the potential to land even bigger with new deals. Thanks. Uh, it's possible. I mean, look, we we definitely have return to investment in some some things that we were not doing uh, for the past two years that we're doing again. You know, in in-person events in particular. Um, I would say it's too early to tell whether it's a um, it's a, it gives us a, an edge again on that side, or whether it's a, it just is just upping the table stakes for everyone uh, for that. But definitely, we're, we're investing with expectations of returns on that. That's great. Thanks very much. The next question comes from Gray Powell with BTIG. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks for taking the question, and uh, congratulations on the uh, on the strong results. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, you, you've clearly been seeing very good traction moving into larger enterprise and Fortune 500 accounts. Uh, how does the competitive environment uh, change there as you move up market? And then do you end up baking off against a different set of vendors or just, you know, how, how should we think of that impacting sales cycles? Thanks. I, so I'm sorry I'm going to give you the most boring answer ever, uh, but we see no change. You know, it's, it, the situation there is very much the same as it was last quarter and even last year. Um, we we still focus largely on net new and cloud environments. Um, we we land fast and small mostly, um, and we end up growing quite a lot with those customers at the largest enterprises. Sometimes, uh, but not all the time, uh, we're going to do a big displacement of usually a suite of tools uh, that mixes homegrown and some of the other players in in Largo, APM or infrastructure or, or all of the above. Um, and these are these tend to be the larger lands, you know, because they they start small, they start larger, they replace a bunch of existing things. Uh, but this is the uh, still not the majority of the uh, the, the or go to market and customer acquisition. I think it, it shows that the product uh, wins uh, uh, in about all, all sorts of situations, um, but the uh, the focus is still on net new and cloud environments. Got it. That, that, that's helpful. And then just maybe just a quick follow-up on the security side, if it's okay. Um, is, is there anything more you can just say on the roadmap in the security space or just like, you know, talk about the, the most natural capabilities that could be included as you start to move into to, to version two of the security platform? And I guess more specifically, and this might be a tough one, but do, do you see a scenario where you could more directly address the endpoint security uh, use case? Um, well, so endpoint, I think, is a, it's not what we have in mind today, right? I mean, there's, there's plenty uh, we want to do at the intersection of DevOps, uh, production environment, applications, 
uh, like it's a gigantic problem space and one that's not well handled today. So we definitely are um, have that in our sights today. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, of what we can what we can do in the roadmap, interestingly, there are many things we're doing today that are not branded security that are part of other products that actually play a big role in security. Um, and so, you know, one of the questions we have internally is how do we actually draw the lines around the security suite uh, versus the rest of the developed platform uh, in a way that doesn't confuse everyone? I mean, for example, we mentioned in the last call um, our uh, sensitive data scanner product, uh, which actually is used for security use cases, uh, but is currently part of our log management product. We have some similar situation with our network monitoring product that also listens to data and uses it for security use cases, but is not part of our security offering. You know, so there's a there are some some branding and packaging and product suite questions that we'll have to answer ourselves there. Understood. Very helpful. Thank you. The next question comes from Steve Koenig with SMBC Nico. Please go ahead. Hey, thank you for getting me on the call, gentlemen, um, and congrats on the quarter. It's um, a pleasure to be covering you guys. Um, I wanted to. Um, ask about pricing, again, with a kind of a little different angle. And, and thanks for your color on how you help customers manage their costs as they scale out with Datadog. That, that's very helpful. Um, if I think about it from a different angle, um, more from the perspective of how you keep your pricing in check with um, infrastructure costs as the hyperscalers uh, improve their price performance over time on compute and storage, um, how does you, – you have a relatively simple pricing model um, in the space, which is a good thing, um, but, uh, but I'm wondering, does host-based pricing, do those prices need to change over time as hyperscalers, um, you know, ride their cost curves down? And, and also in log management as well, as, as you're, you know, you, you, you do have some data charges, and do those, do those need to come down over time as, as hyperscalers become, you know, more price performant? Um, thanks very much, and congrats again on the quarter. Thank you. Um, well, so there's a few things to consider there. So, you know, one is, um, like, the, the type of host that our customers buy also is changing over time. Like, they're also getting larger and larger instances from the cloud providers that, that you know, cost more and more, even though the, uh, the price for the same CPU uh, uh, on two different years is going to maybe get reduced a little bit um, by the hyperscalers. Um, the other factor to consider is that overall, um, even with all the improvements from the, uh, the cloud providers and the, I would say the, uh, the software industry at large, uh, what our customers experience is still a dramatic increase in complexity. Um, and overall, what this means is that a lot of the value um, gets shifted from actually from the, the running the infrastructure itself to understanding it and managing it, uh, which is what we do. Um, so in the end, we are, we are in a position where we can maintain or even increase prices while still delivering more value for our customers and saving them more money. You know, so that's the general dynamics there. Now, you know, when you look at the things that are tied to very specific uh, um, units, you know, so for example, the price per gigabyte and things like that, like it's a, of course, price per gigabyte is going to go down over time in some form. Right now, the form it takes is that uh, there are more and more options that we uh, keep giving our customers, uh, so they can they can they can do different things uh, with different price points. But you know, in the in the long run, 
you know, if you fast forward 20 years, you know, of course, you know, the, you wouldn't expect to pay the same thing for a gigabyte in 20 years than you do today. Terrific. Thanks for the color. I appreciate it. But at the same time, I would say that you also will have uh, many, many, many orders of magnitude more data at the time. Yeah, got it. The next question comes from Joel Fishbein with Truist Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks for uh, taking my question and great quarter. Um, Olivia, um, you spoke a lot about um, several different potential products in the pipeline as you guys are developing internally. I'm hoping you might give us a little bit more about the mid and longer term plans with regard to maybe areas that you plan to address uh, with, you know, new products. Oh, well, we we have plenty of new products in the in the works, but you know we for that you know you'll you'll have to show up to our to our events and conferences. You know we uh, um, we we do expect to uh, to show more of that you know in the in the quarters to come. Um, you know the the areas we're going after obviously we're still doubling down on observability. Uh, we're early in observability. There's a lot more. Uh, we can do, we want to do a lot more that's going to drive value for our customers, and it's a it's a very large market. Um, obviously, we've been very open about the fact that we are investing massively in security and DevSecOps in particular. Um, so you'll see more from us uh, uh, on that. Um, we also are pushing towards the developer workflows, you know, as we mentioned with CICD and some aspects of security and, and some other things that we might show. Um, we're also investing in uh, pushing or extending our um, uh, user experience products in the PM suite to uh, uh, behavioral and, and user analytics as well as business analytics. Uh, so we keep pushing more and more functionality towards that, and uh, you should expect to, to see more products uh, from us in that area, which takes us into real-time BI. And then finally, we also uh, uh, are... Uh, uh, investing in ITSM-minded products, you know, started with incident uh, response and incident resolution, um, and you should expect to see more from us in that area in the future as well. Um, again, I can't give you any more details. Uh, we have a lot of balls in the, in the air right now, lots of uh, products in flight. We're very bullish about the opportunity. We think uh, we sit at a privileged part of the ecosystem where uh, we have such a large surface of contact with our customers infrastructure, their application, as well as their teams, their developers and their operations teams and other security teams, that we can solve an increasingly larger problem for them over time uh, while benefiting from frictionless adoption of our platform, you know, which, which is what yields these uh, uh, beautiful you know, free cash flow margins that we, we've talked about today. Um, so, again, very bullish, uh, a lot of products in, in flight, a lot of things we're working on, but nothing more to announce today. Thank you so much. The next question comes from Adam Tyndall with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Okay, thank you. Uh, Olivia, I just want to start on HDIV. Uh, the acquisition announced today with a vulnerability focus. Could you help us categorize where this competes in the stack? And specifically, are we focused on endpoint like CrowdStrike with a spotlight product or critical assets like server and data center where VM players like Tenable, Qualys, and Rapid7 fit. So where does this fit within the stack and vulnerability? And uh, talk about the competitive advantage that you'll bring. 
Oh, it, it focuses on applications, and these are the applications that our customers build, as well as the, the various libraries and, and dependencies that are brought into the mix uh, as our customers build these applications. So this is this will this will find its uh, its place on the application side of our cloud security platform. Um, we don't have much more to share on you know the way this will be combined from a product perspective, uh, but we see it as a great technology, great product, and also great expertise to add to the team and add to our momentum on the security side. And by the okay, way, the deal hasn't. You know, we as, as as is often the case with security companies, there is some uh, there are some regulatory regulatory approvals. To, uh, to to get these calls. Understood. I know I'm going to be out of time. David, seasonality has just been a constant topic, it seems like, since last mm-hmm. quarter. I'm sure you're answering a bunch of investor questions intra-quarter about it. And the second half is a little lower as a percent of total uh, than years past based on guidance. Anything for us to consider on seasonality now that you're a billion-plus-dollar organization moving forward? Thank you. No, it's always been – it's a similar type of thing where – um, the fourth quarter tends to be <clears throat> strong on customer acquisition. Um, we have had, like every company, a little slower in new customer acquisition in Q3. That didn't hold last year. It was a very, very strong Q3. And as we mentioned, um, um, generally, as you start the year in the first quarter, you have a little bit of slowness in getting going. And this in this quarter, we we didn't have that um, as you know as much. So it's really the same types of seasonality, which is quite minor relative to um, the previous years. Very helpful. Thanks and congrats. Thanks. This concludes our question and answer session. I'll hand the conference back over to CEO Olivier Palmer for any closing remarks. All right. Thank you all for attending the call. And I want again to thank all Datadogs, and there's many more of you out there, you know, as I should remind everyone that we've had our most successful hiring quarter in Q1. So thank you all, and uh, we're all excited to be here, and we'll see you next quarter. The conference is now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect.